Mr. Uh, excuse me, Lord Scarblad. You and your horde of orcs are gonna find these catacombs most sufficient for your needs. If you'll just uh, follow along there on that non-repo blue enumerated floor plan I've provided. But you see, there are 33 main chambers, five secret corridors, and a particularly nasty passage into the Underdark. Did I mention that the previous owner's gonna leave behind his carrion crawler? Yes, yes, it's all very nice. But do I really need eight different pit traps? I'll lose half my goblin hirelings before the first adventurer ever steps foot into the place. Well, think of it as a uh, lackey incentive program. Also, those damned magic mouths at every alcove? Well, that's the price you gotta pay for security. And, and this maze section? Do you really think that I want to get up and work through that every morning? It could be model. Do you know what it's going to cost? To replace those Iron Maidens alone in Hey, don't sweat it, don't sweat it. You know what? I know some people. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon, the show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter Games and Simulations. Look at this. It's a plumber's nightmare. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5E editor for Frog God Games. Somebody here call a carpenter? This is Lou Alu. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. Good evening, Dungeoneers, and welcome to an ad hoc episode of This Old Dungeon. I'm one of your hosts, Lou Alu. Hey, this is Edwin here. Hey, it's Bill Barsh. All right, so uh, all, all the great shows have their lost episodes. I love Lucy and such, and uh, and so do we. We had a, an amazing sit down with uh, Richard LeBlanc of uh, New Big Dragon Games and uh, talked all about uh, randomizing your adventures, went through some of his products, talked about some other products out there that we like. Just, it, it was, a, a, you know, an A plus a 10 out of 10 episode of this whole dungeon. <laughs> And of course, it disappears into the ether. Uh, so we're going to get back with him. We're gonna we're gonna drag him back to the microphones and uh, get another recording, hopefully sometime in March. Until then, we wanted to get something out to let you know we're still alive and uh, to get through some of this viewer mail. So uh, so here we are. Uh, how's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing great, thank you. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. Uh, I guess let's uh, talk a little bit about our viewer mail. Uh, in the episode that we didn't get uh, recorded, uh, there was a, a viewer mail that we, we weren't real sure if, if they wanted us to read it out on out to the public or not, or whether it was just kind of notes for us. 
uh, but it's a little bit of a fair critique about uh, our treatment of the Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah, so I think uh, it was right. It was spot on. It was basically saying that at that but we, we spent more time uh, finding faults than finding solutions and that a, a useful podcast that we're trying to be would actually say, hey, how can we take this and make it something we like? And, and of course, it is something we like, and we, but we did spend a lot of time saying these are the parts that didn't work for us. <laughs> and I think we would have done better to, uh, to say, hey, these are the parts that we would change in this way to make them work for us. But tonight, tonight, I think we do not have any issues. We are talking about uh, the Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, and I think some of the uh, subsequent adventures in that series, and we are, I think, just all very excited about them because, you know, it's winter and we get to go to the beach, and what could be better <laughs> than that? Yes, <laughs> not much, but it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to echo everything you're just saying there, Edwin, uh, you know, don't, we don't want to pile on uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil conversation, but uh, yeah, we, we absolutely could be more constructive about our, our our review on that. Um, that said, we probably could have spent four episodes talking about Temple of Amalia, but maybe splitting Absolutely. it up would have been yeah. the better deal. We spent a lot of time out talking about Hamlet. I think we all loved Hamlet, right? Everyone yes, loved Hamlet. for sure. And then we, you know, we kind of kind of got lost in the maze that is Temple of Amalia <laughs> and everything that goes on with it. Uh, that's not. You're right. That's not going to happen tonight because we're gonna we're talking about three modules here. I think you one, two, and three. Uh, you one in particular, and, and in my personal opinion, is, is just one of the best first level modules ever designed. It's it's got it all. It really yep. does. Well, I think it'll be a neat juxtaposition with our Tomb of Elemental Evil uh, episode because it, you know really together they form sort of a mega module, uh, it, it, and they're very much kind of they're kind of what I wished. Temple of Elemental Evil was. I, I wish, I mean, th this module fulfills what it planned to do. It, 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 it spins you into new space in each one. Um, and, and I think that this will help us to try to show what we wish the other one would have done and what it could have done uh, with some different engineering. So, so I, before, I before we, uh, before we get into it, here's a, I'm going to spin us a, a random thought here. One of the things I noticed and kind of enjoyed about the 1E version of, of uh, U1, which we're going to talk about the first edition and the fifth edition versions. Yes. Um, but one of the things I noticed and kind of enjoyed about the uh, rereading the first edition one is that it, uh, it basically said, hey, Salt Marsh is an important town, GM, figure <laughs> it out. Um, and uh, do you think we could... Uh, do you think that Hamlet would work as a, uh, we'd have to obviously modify it to make it a port town, but we could take two, two great things we love and stick them together, right? Use Hamlet and then have that be the, uh, the coastal town. For sure. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it, you. like you said, it says, uh, Hey, draw out a map. <laughs> yeah. That's easy. You know? Uh, but there you go. Hamlet pop that down. <laughs> There's your map, you know, take some magic marker and color in a shoreline and you got it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You, you can absolutely do that. Um, I think with, with you one and tying it together with, with Hamlet and because they don't give you much, obviously, right. In, in the actual you one modules, part not in the one version. No, no, they, they don't. They, they, I think there's more involved in the second module. I got to crack mine open here in a minute, but there's really, you know, it's just a, a brief description. Here's, you know, salt marsh in the first one. So yeah, use, use Hamlet 
And it, it's it to me, it's a, it's a no brainer to put those two together like that. If you if you want, if that's what you want to do, if you want to run two separate things, combine them. Helmet will work perfectly because you could get you know you can get those rumors going that hey, there's this haunted house over there and and uh, and build that constructively. I think it's a it's a great idea. But that again, we're just going to go back and and sing the praises of how great Hamlet is because of what everything <laughs> you can do with that module, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then move it into uh, Salt Marsh. I'm just gonna say you don't even you don't need a town with Salt Marsh. This module runs itself. It's that to me, it's that good. It's it really is that good. Now, do you would you like something to flesh it out? Sure. And I think I think Hamlet is a, would be my go to village uh, to do that with without. Yeah, goes to Salt Marsh. The five E right? It's got a, a significant. It's got the town. Yeah, it's got the town. Yeah. So yeah, the the only other module that I've thought of uh, as a good base for this city is uh against the cult of the reptile god and i'm trying to think i can't remember what that orlane town orlane yes uh and it may, it's nice because it's supposed to be near a swamp and all that so it kind of fits well mm-hmm. uh, but uh but yeah i mean there, there's so many modules out there that you can throw the town in for this town um but, but yeah hamlet's a great choice too so the uh the premise of this module is this thing uh the, the original one uh sinister secrets of salt marsh uh came out in 1981 it was the first adventure released from the UK division of TSR that had just opened at that time. David J. Brown and uh, Tom Turnbull were the authors of the series. Um, there was some oversight by, uh, and I always wonder if I pronounce his name right or not, but uh, Graham Morris or Graham Morris. Graham, I've always called him Graham Morris. Graham, okay. Yeah. But I, I, I could be, I'm probably wrong. On no, I, I, you're probably right. It's just got so, so many vowels in it. <laughs> I, I did just flip the, yeah. I did just flip through my my U one two threes and yeah, it, my memory is right there. It, Salt Marsh is not uh, really defined in any no. of those three modules, so I wanted to make sure I went through all three. But I know it wasn't in U one at all, but I, I I had this vague memory that it was more spelled out in the others, but it really isn't. It really yeah, no, is. I don't think they ever even get to where they name the council that you're dealing with. It's all no, it, it, no. It, it, which I liked. Yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna say that too. It's kind of it's almost like B one, where it's like, hey, you're a game master. These are things game masters do. <laughs> you know, here, at, you know, figure out what For you sure. can do here. Look at you know, build these. And it was nice because and- it was it was very explicit. Like these things have to happen. We haven't done them, but make sure you do them before you like make this yours. <laughs> and I kind of enjoyed that because definitely in the 5e version, like it's all done. It's done for you. You just everything got the right. book and the city and the counselors and everything. Um, and that's also, of course nice but you know now it's a a big book as opposed to a, a skinny little module so yeah and, and you know this is vintage 1e for that right because most right. 1e modules are not terribly long they don't they don't provide the dm with a whole you usually have a page page and a half of kind of backstory plot hook everything combined is in that for history all of it's in your first couple of pages and that's it i mean you're doing the rest of the leg work to get yep. your pcs involved again with you one it doesn't take much. I mean, honestly, your, your, PC, your PCs walk into this village town, whatever. And the first time somebody says haunted house, that should be the end of it, right? They're, yeah. they're lining up and they're on, they should be on their way. So absolutely, well, um, and it's not just haunted, but it's haunted by the ghost of an alchemist treasure. who was seeking to uh, find a way to create gold, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm going to backtrack real quick to the, the, the whole point of you and UK series. Um, a differentiate. I, I want to differentiate the U series from the other UK modules. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole UK series. Yeah, Crystal mm-hmm. Cave and those, Crystal yeah. Cave, all that glitters of that yeah. whole group. Um, you know, to me, they're a bit off. They're they're a little bit odd to me. You could tell they're English. You could tell very well. There's there's so, there's such a difference. Like B10 
uh, Night Dark Terror as as opposed to anything else in the B series, right? Mm-hmm. It's just they are there's a whole different design yes. aesthetic to the UK modules. These modules are not like that. These are if you wouldn't if someone didn't tell you these were UK modules, you really wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna now that. That said, I'm pretty sure you're going to find the word color in here. C-O-L- <laughs> it's not going to be C O L O R. There's a U in there. But uh, but you know, once you see past well, a couple of things, they got paid by the letter for uh, the English <laughs> <Yeah>. writers. <laughs> but yeah, everything in here, even the, the way the art is presented, the way the, the modules are just laid out, and and how they actually work. These are, I hate to say, it, these are very American-ish. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because the, there's the intro saying, you know, this may seem weird to you, and and then you read it, it's like, no, this feels totally hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, feels like yeah, you know, it feels funny. like any other yeah, any other TSR module you pick off the shelf, it, it, it's it, it's it's the same. I mean, I get, I would almost say, I mean, this kind of defines for me a good TSR module. Like, you know, sort of, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah, yeah, I've worked on a lot of British, uh, you know, a fair amount of recent British stuff, and uh, it is different. Like, there's a different sense of humor, there's a different sense of fantasy, but this to me uh, didn't feel uh, foreign. Yeah, it, it, we'll have to maybe talk more about the UK series sometimes. I know uh, we had done the Crystal Cave in an earlier episode back when uh, uh, Thomas and Briggy were on. But um, you're absolutely right, Bill. They've got like a certain aesthetic to them that is good. It's 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 different, but good. You know, it's uh, I feel like they've got like a the, the modules have a very pervasive sense of self. Like there, <laughs> there's things in those modules that are unique to them that are like their own little fantasy creation. And they're a lot more plot heavy, but yet they're not, you know, a, a, you know, not necessarily a, a railroad type adventure. But yeah, these yeah. these just have that that typical tsr feel of you know we're going to give you the 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 stock and you make the soup and uh yeah the word i'm going to use is vibe the 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 you can to me i can tell a uk module a mile away um it just have a different vibe to them and i'm not saying it's bad at all it's cool as hell but um these do not these are not like that so if you have familiarity with uh with other uk modules these are going to be a little different yeah so the uh, at the outset, like we've already said, the, the characters basically get the old rumor that, oh, there's a haunted house, there's weird things going on there. Um, there's an alch- alchemist that was said to be, uh, you know, experimenting and trying to find a way to, you know, uh, synthesize gold, and then he just disappeared. So that's their little baited hook. And U1 is presented in a two-part setup where you, you've got the exploration of the haunted house in the first set, and then... Uh, basically this whole plot about smugglers and, and trying to take out their ship, uh, the sea ghost in the second set. One of the things I really like about this uh, adventure is that it's, I mean, I feel like one of the things that most people know about it is that it's sort of a bait and switch, but what I really like is that it's a double bait and switch and you end up back effectively at a haunted house. Like after you take care of the smugglers, you still have the, the undead and the ghosts and the, like, it's all, it's, there is no, switch it's just well there's that and there's also this other stuff going on watch the spoilers nice yeah go ahead he he said watch the spoilers oh yeah so yeah spoilers Uh, if you're listening to this hope that you're a gm otherwise uh you're gonna ruin your play here so yeah i'm assuming uh yeah assuming we can do spoilers um (laughs) we're definitely doing so we're diving right into this right so we're gonna go right in you will catch the mailbag on the back end here okay roger that (laughs) So, you know, you want, it's funny, we just talked about the spoilers that 
So I, I'm one of the fortunate guys. This is when this came out. I was still going to my local hobby shop, you know, every Friday checking out what was new. And, and one day, here's this new module on the shelf. I went and picked it up, and you know, uh, read it, and I was like, oh, this is just too cool not to run. And got the guys together, you know, our regular gaming group back then, and we played it probably within a few weeks of doing that. And I'm just going to say it's not because of any talent I have as a DM, but my players <laughs> fell for the thing, hook, line, and sinker. No clue what was going on here. They were they were totally invested in this thing as a haunted house. They look you look at the cover, it looks like there's a vampire out there yeah. in the first level dungeon, and everyone's yeah. tripping out. And uh and for me, that's why I kind of want to bring back that that sentimental aspect of, of that module for me is really high because we our group had one of the best times ever when when the looks on their face was and they started figuring out that they're actually playing a Scooby-Doo adventure or like no <laughs> other, it was the best. It was the best. And it this module does it extremely well. And on the on the flip side, I played it's probably a year and a half ago in my home group. There's two of us GMs uh, going back and forth, and the other guy was running uh, the Five E Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and I got to play in it. And even knowing, you know, the big reveal, <laughs> it was still an excellent. You know, it's still a good good adventure. It's just it still ran on all all cylinders, even knowing that part. And that was super fun too. And of course, the other players in the some of the other players in our group are new enough to the hobby that they had no idea what was going on. And so that was fun to watch them fall into the, <laughs> Oh, what's going on here. And, and this, you know, we got to give it due to, so it, it, you know, it's, it's tropey, right? It's a haunted house. And there's really something else going on. And it's kind of tropey, but, and that's all well and fine because it's presented so well and done so well, but, you know, looking back at it in the context of TSR modules of that era, they really didn't do a whole lot of that back then. The mm -hmm. mystery elements in their modules really were not that high. It was more, you know, go get this valuable thing that we lost and the whole world's going to be destroyed if you don't go find it modules. Uh -huh. Or go stop these guys from taking over, you know, the, stop the giants out of the drow. I mean, that was sure that was kind of, you know, a little surprise bangaroo in there, but. Uh, as far as a true mystery adventure, this really was one of the first of its kind. They hadn't done a lot like it up to that point. And uh, it was a, it's a groundbreaker for a lot of reasons. I really like the haunted house setup because it's uh, ha having just recently played the 5e house of lament, which is a Ravenloft uh, haunted house. And, uh, and then also I forget what it's called, but the haunted house that's in the curse of Strahd book. I always want to call it Bleak House, but that's a oh yeah, really the, one, the one that starts it. You mean? Yeah, with the kids. Um, yeah, that's whatever that's sweet. called. Yeah. I don't remember the name of it, but it's a nice. But, yeah, that's a fun one. But like, so those are our haunted houses, but they're like, man, in your face, like ghosts and in in you know zombies and stuff, like right off the bat, right there, you know. Whereas this is that it reminds me of the old black and white movie, The Haunting, where stuff happens, but it's subtle things, and it, it puts. <laughs> yeah you know creaking doors the rattle of a handle and stuff and it's like you can kind of believe it oh well, that, that, that could maybe really happen and uh, and that's what this has going forward a lot of like ruined rooms a lot of like sounds and and you know little vermin and stuff like that um and I, I think that's part of what gets the players to buy in that well maybe this really is haunted you know and for sure and, and, you know, the other thing I like, I really like about Salt Marsh too, is the pacing of the module, right? You start, you start in this haunted house and you get into this kind of under underground basement level that kind of creeps into a dungeon level. And none of these are too terribly long, right? There are not, mm -hmm. not over, not an over, oversized amount of encounters that you're going to get bored real quick. Yeah. You, you're, exactly. You're moving right along. 
And then you go into like a cavern thing where the smuggler of cabins are and it's a big reveal and, and all that. And the next thing you know, you're, you're on a boat, little, little rowboat going out to a ship out at sea. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and you're, you're doing that whole part and, you know, you're trying to combat these smugglers head on. And then, you, you know, you get more clues that lead you into the next module. It's just a really, really well done module. It paces really well. It's got different environments for the, the PCs. I don't think, I don't think as players, you ever get bored in this thing. Um, you, Cause you're always going to something new and that's, that's really nice without being overwhelming. It, it all, it flows, makes sense. Um, you know, I know we talked about how can we improve a module like this? I can't think of a whole lot of them. We talked about a little bit earlier about, about using maybe Village of Hamlet to flush out the actual village before you you get into the actual adventure itself. But in my mind, this is one of those one of those modules that just it, it runs without me having to mess with it. You know, there, I can just go with it. There are two things that I like to kind of monkey with in this one. One of them, the, the thing I feel it, it, it's a little bit weak on is the whole plot with the smugglers. I mean, it, it talks about them having contraband of silk and brandy. And it's kind of like, well, why is that contraband? Is it, is it that they're, you know, exporting it or importing it without taxes? Is it, you know, uh, so I always kind of, sometimes I make it a slave boat. And sometimes instead of even going U2 and 3, I'll jump over to the A series and do like the, the slaver stockade from it. And that these are guys that are stealing people from the town that disappeared in the haunted house and taking them into the, the slave lords. And I, I like that a lot, Lou, because the slavers are my personal, like my favorite series of all the TSM. They're, they're, I, I can't say enough good things about the slaver series. Um, uh, I mean, hell, we did a Pacer did our Path of the Vanish last year, which was an homage to the whole slaver series. And we just did a 50 year. Here's 50 years later. They come, they came back. We did a whole hardcover book with it, with all of it. I love it that much. So I, I do like your thought out process on that with this whole series leading into the A series. I think it's, I think you, you've hit upon something there. This module series, to me, leads into the A series much cleaner or potentially cleaner than the Hamlet Temple of Elemental Evil idea that's out there, which I, I just to me, that one's never worked for me. But this, I think you're on to something there. And I never really thought of it that way. It's a, it's, a, it's a great way of doing it. As far as the ship with the contraband, I think this is one of the cases, though, that you can tell where someone was writing a module with something in mind, and then they kind of changed their mind halfway through, because really that that ship really probably should have been carrying weapons and things like that, because the whole idea is that the, that these smugglers are actually going to sell weapons to the lizard men in U two, right? Which because they're going to pose a threat to take over Salt Marsh, and that it, it I think at some point I I can see see that being the case because that's a mistake that I would do. I would get three quarters of the way right to a module. <laughs> change my mind and then forget to go back and, and look yeah. at something until I, you know, go back and read the whole thing over. And I say, Oh, wait a minute. I'm maybe I'm missing the boat. I, I need to move some things around. Well, so well, I think uh, that would be an important detail too, is to like make, make a mental note as a game master that, Hey, when you set up this town, uh, the, the blacksmith or the hardware store, what, wherever the weapons are sold in your town, there's like a, a shortage of supply that, oh, you know, the, the shipments haven't been getting in. There's been, you know, raiders on the lake or whatever, the, the ocean or what, whatever you're playing on there. So, yeah, I, I like those little details that then all of a sudden, bam, snap together when they realize, oh, these are the guys taking the weapons, you know. Yeah. But I think to your to your point, Bill, one of the things that sort of set up sort of strongly at the beginning of, of U1 is this, is all the, the sort of background politics, right? That there's the 
there's you know that this was an independent thing and then there were the pirates and then there was the king that came down and the dwarves that get sent in and there's the 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 mine that got sent by the, the dwarves got sent by none of it matters at all <laughs> and so one thing i think i would want to improve is either like there's all this stuff going on that is somehow information rich for the players it's sort of a little info dump at the beginning for the gm and an info dump for the players potentially and to not have that pay off that kind of bothers me a little bit so i think mm -hmm. you know if we yeah. could you know so one i, I do like the solution of, of making it weapons and saying hey this is what it has been all along but i could also see instead that pushing the smuggling thing and the the sort of uh, anti anti-king thing and and you know pushing it more into that direction if you wanted to have more of a political game um and use this to to really accentuate that uh you know we're an independent town we don't want to be part of this kingdom or we do want to be part of this kingdom but there's other people that don't um because that that was another that was a to me that's an area that it could be improved we could either cut <laughs> cut all that writing out of there and put something useful in or make it pay off make yeah. it pay off yeah yeah and, and like i said you it, to me, you just you, you they, they they I think they wrote themselves past a bunch of stuff that they didn't need to do. I mean, I, like I said, honestly, what red blooded adventure when he walks into a town and someone says haunted house, <laughs> the right. GM doesn't really need to sell it anymore at that point, right? You don't need backstory about all this political intrigue. Uh, uh, maybe a little tidbit hint here or there that something else might be going on is one thing, but. You also don't want to give away the farm, right? Because uh -huh. if the minute the players start thinking about all these other things, they're like, well, why is it, why do they keep wanting me to go to this haunted house? It must not have, it must have to do with all this shit and not really right. just be a haunted house. You really want to push that, that narrative that, Hey, this is kind of this, this is a sleepy little town and it's, you know, it's, it's like every other town it's got its issues, but one of its big issues are this, this house out here on this road that this alchemist who did some strange, bizarre things that, that everyone thinks he was making gold out of lead and and then all of a sudden he disappeared and now the ghosts are all around the place because he was messing with magic he shouldn't have been messing with and now uh you know caravans coming down the road are being you know attacked by undead or which could be smugglers in disguise what you can pack that in oh, um I, I i think there's a way to keep that narrative the focus of this module to me has to be on that haunted house and like, like, like you said, when, and when you read through all this other stuff, man, that's that's just a bunch of I mean, static. You tell me about a dwarven mine and then you don't let me go explore it as a player <laughs> character. I'm pissed well, that's off. Where or where are they going to go, right? The last thing you tell them, that's where they're going to go. I want to make a distinction real quick. Uh, the, 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 the backstory that you're talking about is coming out of the Ghosts of Salt Marsh, right? Because I'm pretty sure I never ran across that in the original modules unless I totally skipped over it somewhere. I think it's in U1. Maybe it, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is just in Ghost of Saltmarsh, but I thought it was in U1 at least like a just a half paragraph or paragraph. Or, and definitely the there, dwarves there, are there and the, no, the there's, mine there's is there. There's definitely backstory in U. Yeah, there's definitely backstory in U1, and I do believe some of it has absolutely nothing to do with the adventure at hand. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of flipping through right here. Yeah. There's all, I mean, there's all the stuff about this town council that nobody cares about. <laughs> um, I mean, the town council becomes interesting if you do all the adventures in salt marsh, you know, where sure, you're, yeah. you're actually getting sent off to go see the lizard men. And like, eventually that, yeah. that can pay off, but you've got to, then you've definitely got to play the other, uh, the rest of the adventures to see how the town is fighting amongst themselves and who, who wants yeah. this to happen and who doesn't want it to happen. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I love reading the beginning here. It talks actually about Americans trying to run this module. 
Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Whole, whole half page, you know. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna find the language a little strange. It might <laughs> no. be too flowery. You're not flowery yeah. enough. <laughs> but uh, uh, so um, oh, the, the second thing, there's two things I like to change. The second thing is the whole alchemist thing, because you only run into the alchemist's uh, corpse or whatever if you find a secret passage. And I always thought, ah, I mean, he, he's there with all his equipment, just dead in a chair with a uh, cursed stone in his hand. Yeah. And it's like, well, how did he die? What, you know, it, it, to yeah. me, it's like anticlimactic. Oh, they, so, yeah. It, yeah. When you finally find the alchemist room, it does, it leaves you, it does leave you hanging a little bit. Sure. Um, that could have been flushed out. I, again, I don't, I, these are, these are just so our, our listeners are hearing this. If they've never read this module, these are really minor nitpicky oh, yeah. things in a module that to me is tremendous all through and through. I mean, I, again, you don't have to do a whole lot with this thing. Um, you know, obviously this thing was written 40 years ago, close to 40 years ago now. Right. I mean, yep. uh, I should, let's look at the date on here. 81. Um, yep. yeah. 81, so 40 years ago. It's hard to believe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm going to have to have a drink out. after this just to, <laughs> yeah, to deal with that. But, um, it holds up, right. It holds up really, really well. And we'll get into the 5e version, which, uh, they did a great job on Bill Barr spoiler right there. Um, but I, you know, I think it, we can, we can be done singing our praises of you one and let's bounce over to you two. Well, wait, I want to, I want to hear what, what oh. Lou does with the alchemist. So the, the, I, I don't like to make him undead. Cause I think that's, you know, opposite of the nature of the, of the haunted house in this adventure is it's not that far, you know, a field of, of what you would, you know, reality or whatever. But what I do like to do is have it be that like he discovered basically kind of the equivalent of Midas's touch except it makes fool's gold instead of gold. So I have yep. his corpse be all, you know, silver pyrite. And then the stony touches, anything that touches it becomes silver pyrite. So, you know, the characters, you know, they can make intelligence checks or whatever to see if they realize what it is or if they think it's really gold and all that's that brutal. kind of thing. I like it. I like that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice touch. So, yeah, you, you too then. Okay. All right. We're, we're now, getting into right, you so, too. So let's bounce. Yeah, let's bounce over to you too. So, in U1, we have the PCs go through this haunted house. They found us at a haunted house. That's these smugglers that kind of tie into these uh, these lizard men, uh, which have this this they're the lizard men complex in a swamp really close to Salt Marsh. And what the PCs have kind of discovered in in it in U1 is that these lizard men are buying arms because they want to basically wipe out Salt Marsh. They're going to they think it's encroaching on their territory and they're going to wipe it out. So the PCs explain well, that, all this to go ahead well i just because uh, my interpretation was that that's the the characters in the town council's belief yes that, oh these, so they, these foreigners i was gonna say yeah us. the pcs yeah. bring us to the yeah. town council the town council says you know whatever we we, we infer all this we, you guys got to go get these lizard men you got to go wipe them out yeah. and on its face impossible awesome. right awesome <laughs> and impossible that's awesome and impossible mean. right you got to take a whole lizard man basically you know city out right. um but as a dm you, you you're 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 getting prepped for this and you're like it's cool it's a it's an evocative setting you're in a swamp and you've got these these caverns and caves and these swampy rooms and these the lizard men with all their weird things that might be going on down there with you know different creatures and uh including there's a black dragon in there which is fascinating because <laughs> it's like a third level dungeon but uh it, it's uh or on the way they can meet this black dragon but um, but the whole thing is, you know, here comes the spoiler. 
It's not true. As in you won, the haunted house was in a haunted house. The lizardmen actually have no desire to, to attack salt marsh. They're being used as pawns by we'll get to you three. And well, what, I like space, is, what I like about the setup is that they make the lizard men powerful and scary enough that the low level yes. adventuring party has absolutely no choice but to not go in and do a full frontal attack. Like you, it, it forces the players in a very honest way. Like I, I feel like the players feel like they're being clever and winning mm -hmm. because they're like, Oh, we're not going to attack. This is too scary. Let's go talk to them. And, but that's actually the goal. As the <laughs> I'm sure that's the author's intent. Right. And so I, I like the fact that there's this win for the players by deciding to do the weird thing, which is in fact the right thing. And then the, the thing that, you know. You're right. I mean, the structure of that plot and the way the way the, the forces are all set up, it, it pushes them to do the thing that you want them to do without being like, OK, punch your ticket, get on a railroad, you know. Exactly. It's that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Again, yep. It, it, it's clean. It's smooth. And it, to me, falls apart at the end because they're supposed to figure out at some point that they shouldn't be wiping all these lizard men out. Well. You know, again, here we I'm going to go back to my red blooded adventure. You give them a monster and you point them in a direction. <laughs> they're going to go get them and they're going to go hard. And there's clues that can easily be missed. Um, and honestly, if they figure it out too early. You've got 36 pages of module that are just going to sit there and rock because they're never going to go explore most of this thing. Well, yeah, I mean, if, it, if it they, flips quickly into a political. Uh, yes. And if they if so depending how, thing, yeah, yeah. depending how they roll through the quote unquote dungeon part of it, right? The lizard man cat compound. But if, if they don't, let's say they don't do that, right? They, they take another couple pass or they miss a clue. Next thing you know, they've wiped out three quarters of this lizard man tribe <laughs> and they get to the end and they're like, Oh, we're not the bad guys. PCs are standing there going, Oh, <laughs> really? That's interesting. Cause I feel like in the five E version, um, at least as we played it. So we figured out that they weren't, the bad guys relative to salt marsh but then later on they're absolutely the bad guys they're just not after salt marsh and so i think what we did is we went and we talked and we made a deal it's like okay you're not going to attack salt marsh but then later on we're like oh but they are going to go and be part of this other thing yeah that's, so then when that's, now we're more powerful now we're going to go back and wipe them out yeah, so, <laughs> and that's and that's a goat right that's a five that's the five e book of ghost salt that's a fix because yeah. it doesn't exist in the, it doesn't exist in and YouTube. that was a I thought that was a and really nice fix there because yeah it's a we huge absolutely fix. talk to them and yeah yep. so the, so we don't even need to fix it go buy go right. go salt marsh they <laughs> fix it for you because yeah, in, I, in, I think you, that's brilliant I mean you got basically like the Middle East there right I mean you got these people that you know the enemy of your enemy but yet you got to look you know into the future and see okay you know what are they going to do with the the help we're giving them and the arms that we're gonna yep. you know allow them to have or whatever and i i can remember reading this module for the first time 40 years ago believe it or not and i remember getting because they don't even really tell you this till you get to the end of the module as you're reading as a dm and you get to the end you're like oh f what the hell <laughs> they're not supposed to kill all these lizard men right i go how am i supposed to deal with this now you know you've 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 upended uh the apple cart here and and now i actually got to do work when this was just kind of a fun dungeon crawl and, you know, I know when I, the first time I ever ran this, I ran it as written. I, I just, I let him go and it, it played out kind of exactly how I guess I'm describing it. My, you know, our group went through there, they missed a couple things or they didn't miss it. Didn't think of it that way. 
wiped out three quarters of this, this compound, got to the chief. And he said, Hey, why are you killing us? We're not bad guys. And, and then they find out they're really not bad guys. And, and you're like, well, shit, now we're supposed to actually give you all your treasure back. Yeah, they want yeah, to, they want to get paid for everyone you right. killed, right? Yeah, it's got like a schedule of of a of uh, atonement uh, in the back of the module where it's like, oh, oh if they did this, they got to do this to appease them. Yes, but there's absolutely. that cool little like a uh, giant uh, crocodile thing where one yeah. way they can appease them is they got to go and figure out why they the lizard men can't befriend this giant crocodile that turns out it's under the the power of a Chinese dragon. A, a what is it? A po uh, lung dragon what is that uh, uh pan lung pan lung yes thank you so yeah there uh, i guess there are two things though they got going for them they've got like that uh, the sea elf that they can run into but like you said you can miss that or, or maybe you know like turns if, yeah if they don't if they don't go to the area where they where the either the political guests are or they mm -hmm. don't go through the prisoner part or for some reason just roll through it this dungeon can turn into a mess in a, in a heartbeat in one e. So just you just got to know that going in as a DM, and then you can make a, you can change it. The second time I ever ran this, I I, I had the lizard men were actually had a civil war. So half of them wanted to wanted to go wipe out Salt Marsh, the other half didn't. And the PCs once they get in there and get going, they kind of they they, uh, uh, they can choose what side they want to you know go with or not choose any, just wipe them all out and, and let God sort it out at the end. <laughs> um, but you know, it can, we kind of played that off and, uh, and that worked pretty well for me to second, but I really like what, what goes of salt marsh does with this um, and gives the PCs a reason to go in there and just clean house uh, because that's what they, that's what they're going to want to do anyway. Right. I mean, they're just going to want to do these different rooms, different encounters, see these different things uh and and go to it and find some cool treasure it's kind of you know it's it's i hate to be this way this is first edition ad and d right this isn't it's it, the, the whole play style even back in the 80s you know we kind of put this in context of what it will what D, D was like back then and uh this module kind of unfairly suckers the players right <laughs> in <laughs> to that to that thing yeah it's 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 a good module again and I'm going to go back to uh, my design side of it and give you guys a little pointers. It's a really well-designed module. It reads well. Uh, there's some really nice art in here. Uh, I think yeah, Tim it's got Truman, the Truman art, right? My... This is uh, this is one of the first books. Uh, what is it? Uh, t uh, Tim Truman does art. Yeah, it's, early, it's one of the early Tim Truman books. Yeah. And I am a huge Tim Truman fan. He is, yeah. as far as black and white illustrations for TSR, he's probably my number one. I mean, uh, his work in X4 and X5, you know, I mean, just all these modules and these modules, uh, just it, it, it's, it's great art, great layout. Everything works. Out. One thing I want to bounce back on. Oh, that's what I forgot about on you when I do uh, need to start writing these things down. So one of these things that, that TSR did back in the day, um, they, this is one of the, this, is, this might be the first time they actually started doing this. They took uh, a group of NPCs must have gave them to their artists and said, I want you guys to draw these guys. And these are the guys I want you to use throughout the module. So as you, as you go through the art in this module, it's like a, it's almost like a story being told and it's the same PCs being drawn throughout the whole module series. All three modules use the same, same guys. You don't have that in a lot of other modules necessarily. A series kind of does uh, because they use the tournament characters throughout. Right. But a lot of modules don't do that. So it, it, it is really cool to see that, um, and different artists using those same characters and drawing them, even maybe just a little bit differently. 
but the, you know, the, the art, the art tells a story in these modules as much as the, the modules do. And uh, I can't give, uh, you know, TSR enough credit for doing that back in the day. This series does it really, really well. I really like how they, the way they've parsed out information in these is really good too. They, they, at the end of the module, they have kind of like the different groups and it, it describes them and their motives and it, it kind of breaks everything else separate so that as a game master, you can real quickly be like, oh, wait, what, what's this group's deal? Or what, you know, why are the chieftains, uh, you know, not wanting to, to, you know, ally with the, the, Koa, you know, the Katoa or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. That was really well done. It, it's it, yeah i can't say enough of how like i said how well these modules are actually written written structured designed laid out and the artwork in them and the maps on top of that uh these, these modules all three of them are uh fantastic absolutely you could just tell that tsr they spent some time they spent a little bit of money uh developing these and they didn't rush them and didn't didn't push anything i think they did a, a really nice job with these because i there's other modules you can see. That, I mean, I'm not going to start throwing them out there, but there's some of them where you can see they did not do the same thing they did with these. Uh, these are that good. They really are. One of the things going back through them that I had forgotten is just how much underwater, uh, how much of an underwater world D&D has created, like how many different races there are. And, and you know, uh, you know, I had just forgotten about that. You know, you've got like the, the Katoa, but you also have the, uh, what's the, the, evil version of that is the uh, <laughs> Galantha, I think it is. Uh, you got, I mean, just all sorts of things. And I got to thinking about, man, you could, you could like rewrite uh, the caves of chaos and like sink them and make it a, yeah. like a oh, yeah. of chaos and just populate yeah. it with the C version of everything. It's there funny. One of the podcasts I listened to is uh, monster man. And so he's been, he started reading the uh, reading and commenting on the one E monster manual. And then he went to the, um, second monster manual two, and then monstrous manual and then some of the other stuff but one of his things that he keeps sort of getting a little bit bent out of shape on is just you know that there's a water version of everything it's like why is there a water giant why is there a you know there's a water camel or whatever and but you know when i think about you know if i really wanted to run a an extended underwater campaign or uh or even just you know multiple trips down in like you kind of want different things each time and you want some yeah some new new underwater monsters and this yeah this definitely has a lot of fun creatures that you get to interact with mm. on both sides of the alignment spectrum and different uh power levels and different sort of intelligence levels and personalities and i don't know it's really fun to have to have a, a rich rich environment like that so so that brings us where we're talking about underwater so let's let's move right into u3 right i so think we've made it to u3 yeah we, we, swum we right along we're talking about underwater stuff. So U3, again, if you're not familiar with U3, it's the third module in the series. You find out who it's called. The Final Enemy is the name of the module in, in, in the James first Bond. edition set. And uh, I'm sorry. James Bond, the final enemy. James Bond, the final enemy. So the final <laughs> hey, enemy, you find out. You really uh, are kind of James Bond in these modules, right? From, from really U2 are. on, your, your, your group is like a small you're you know, solving tactical team. Uh, commander yeah. team. 100%. Uh, so you, you get to U3 and the final enemy are the Sahagan. And uh, uh, these are the, the, the bastards people. of the ocean, right? These are, these are the, 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 the evilest of evil and they're out to cause all kinds. They're the ones who actually want to totally destroy uh, salt marsh and, you know, they're trying to, you know, they use the lizard men kind of as their tool and, and all that. So the PCs, you know, they, they learn this by 
annihilating most of the lizardmen complex. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, okay, uh, we're not the bad guys. It's those guys over there. Oh shit. Okay. We're going to go get them now. So, you know, of course, you know, they find a, a, enough, enough stuff that they can go after the Sawhogan, which is an underwater adventure. So here you get to do some really cool stuff. So real quick, I, I, I wasn't able to kind of discern this or not. Do you, do you know, was the, were the Sahagan in anything prior to this adventure? No. Okay, no, they, that's what they, I thought. Yeah. And they're really not in anything after this either. So, so. so you too, uh, the uh, Danger at Dunwater, it, it has what I think is kind of a cool introduction to these guys because there's, there's one of them that's alive in that adventure. And you're yeah. in these like uh, this like jail area where the cells are these like graded floor wells and in, in, in the, you know, the, the jail is underneath the floor through a, through kind of like a yeah. manhole cover and it's all watery down there. And, and if you open one of them up, there's this hogging down in there that just like pops up. And I, I always thought that was just the coolest thing, you know, get your jaws music going there, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, that, again, no end, of, no end of great encounters. And yeah, so Sahagan, they're a fascinating creature with you with, with TSR and Watsi. Because the Sahagan are one of those, uh, you can't use this name, uh-huh. uh, this creature. You know, they, they fall into the Mind Flare Beholder uh, list. And it's right. funny uh, because they really never, I mean, most of those other creatures are like, those are monsters that TSR uses a lot or Watson oh, uses man. a lot. There's miniatures of monsters. The Sahagan, they're, they're like, oh my God, they're like third-rate cousins of all that. So <laughs> they're, they're not included in hardly any adventures anywhere. But, uh, but you, you know, know it's so, funny because you say that, and and I believe you, but I feel like everybody knows them. They do they're, they're, because they're it's, so, everyone loves that name. Well, yeah, yeah, they're so powerful that even though they yeah. haven't made a lot of appearances, we're all like, oh, no, yeah, they're, they're not allowed now. Now, Alex Cameron did use it in his. Yes. Uh, he used them, I believe. Um, sea uh, queens sea queen not what's C-Queen? the name of that no, uh, no, sea king's I, malice sea king's malice i was like yeah. we published it i ought to know this, this one. <laughs> <laughs> so but but that's uh, you know again that's we're talking about third party so and we've used them but we obviously can't call them so at pace or we call them sea devils so yeah. um but it's uh i love the sahagan and here you got an adventure based on the uh, you got a sahagan stronghold PC's got to go underwater and, you know, now you get to do all the cool underwater stuff. So that module has some amazing things like, you know, how different spells work underwater. Um, it's, it's got some great tools for you, even if you're not running that exact module, some cool magic items um, and a neat way to present an underwater dungeon complex. I'm, I'm going to say all that. And then I'm also going to say, it's probably my least favorite of the three modules. It, 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 I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to say it, the module's a bit dry. For being all underwater, it is a bit dry. So, like, um, kind of comparing this to Temple of Elemental Evil to, to try to try to talk about what's what's right and what's going for one yeah. versus the other. Like you two, uh, its dungeon is pretty concise. And every room has a purpose. It, it has like this lived-in, you know, feeling to it. Like it has, a, you know, you know why that room's there. It's not just there to to give you more things to fight before you get to the end. Um, there's lots of little neat little things in there. By the time you get to U3, it's kind of the same thing. You're, you're, you're a small team infiltrating an a enemy area uh, and hoping that you're not going to get caught because they'll outnumber you and kill you. It's like the same repeat yeah. of U2. Now it's underwater. That's a little unusual. But you're right. The rooms, other than the throne room with the giant sharks swimming around in it, the other rooms are kind of, eh. Yeah, there's, there's only three or four or five really kind of – jaw-dropping-ish 
encounters in that whole module. I mean, every room doesn't have to be a, a you know, invent, reinvent the wheel encounter. I, I, I you know, I, nobody does that. But this module does to me, uh, again, I want to give it its props. It's an underwater adventure. It's, it, it can be fun as hell. It also can be a little tedious um, and a, a little bit slow moving along. There's not going to be this, yeah, the last encounter, cool as hell, you know, the big bad fight. Um, but uh, the payoff on it isn't kind of as exciting as the previous two modules. I mean, it's, it's kind of just there. So I think, so here's where you get your chance, right, where we get to say, what would we do mm-hmm. to, to jazz up the final enemy? I'll let Edwin go first. Oh, thanks. I didn't. I didn't actually read it recently. Oh. I'm trying to remember. Though, is there a? Um, am I? Am I making up? And maybe this is a Ghost of Saltmarsh uh, uh, fix on it. But that there is a, or or maybe I'm confusing it with Sea King's Malice now. Um, but that there is a a way to get some information or a guide to sort of get in, kind of a back door. And, well, so and, in the and avoid a lot of the the slog in the in the original series the setup is that the lizard men have moved towards salt marsh because they were pushed out of their original mounds which is what the sahagan moved into and started renovating right so you get the map yeah so the the lizard men are like well you know we kind of know some ways in but it's you know they've you know kind of opened up areas and added areas and so it's not like they have exact knowledge of where stuff's at yeah because i I feel like that's that's one way that I think you can spice, you know, turn it into a heist. One way to spice up a, you know, a, a, uh, we got a big dungeon full of a lot of monsters is to say, well, if you're, you know, if you want to plan a heist and you sneak in here and you, you can get to this place and then do this and hole up for a little while. And then you do a little ruse over here and then you have to fight this one thing and then you can get over to there and you know that you might be able to get to the, the cool throne room (laughs) with, you know, three or four encounters instead of 24 encounters that but still make it difficult and exciting then uh-huh. that might be one way to a hundred percent and that's really what needs to happen with the final enemy uh, it you're you're at you're you are at the payoff of the whole series so what you don't want to do is turn it into a, a slog fest and the module is sort of designed to do that it mm-hmm. it is the um largest module as far as page count of the bloody modules, it's it, you'll notice it just by holding on to it. It's a, it's a lot thicker than the previous two, especially you won. It's, it's literally twice the size. It feels like um, <laughs> there's a lot of beef in there, but you uh, uh, that is one way to to get around that is you just you you know it, it's funny, especially again. Go let's go think back to our our one days back here in the '80s. You know we weren't interested so much. A lot of people in shortcuts. Well, we no, wanted to kill everything the in the dungeon and find <laughs> right? You got to get the gold. You got to kill the creature because exactly. you want to level up. I mean, look then, under every bed, mattress, look yep, into exactly. every nightstand. Look into, yeah. <laughs> you, no, there's no secret door going to get by you with some treasure room. It's just not going to happen. And this module is set up in that vein. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that well. You can do that not well. This is a. This is not. I want to say this is not well. And I don't, and I don't want to say well. It's kind of. It's kind of average, mediocre as great. far as yeah, it goes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know. It's more of a middling thing. So. You know, I think that's the really the, the, the best way to, to approach this would be to to as a DM, you know, use that lizard man thing, give them a guide who maybe gets killed halfway through um, so they can kind of bypass a few things, <laughs> but not everything. 
and uh, and and move it along because this module will this module will bog down a little bit. Um, I ran it twice. It did it both times. I ran it again. I'm never going to claim to be uh, uh, God's gift to dungeon mastering, but uh, you know it's just kind of fool me once, right? Yeah, fool me once, you know, kind of thing. And and uh, it does. It definitely does need a, a bit of tweaking there. And and I uh, and I can't speak to Ghost of Saltmarsh too much. I do have the book. I did flip through it. I did not read it page by page yet. Uh, it's something I need to get to. I'm way behind on my one ebooks <laughs> or five ebooks. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. But I did. I, I, I know I spent more time with Ghost of Marsh. I did a lot of the other ones because I just love the series. Um, but I think that's my take on, on the final enemy. Uh, it's a good module. It's probably the weakest of the three. Uh, it's worth playing. It's absolutely worth if you are an old school fan. Uh, these, I believe, I know I'm going to side do this every, every month on this show that I'm not, I am not getting paid by drive-through. Okay. <laughs> I won't understand that, <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to save you the pain of going to eBay. Okay. Uh-huh. I believe you can probably get these on drive-through and if you can't just keep an eye out for them, they will pop up. Um, cause I know they were available one time or another, um, from Watsi and they do kind of move stuff in and out. Uh, but, it, but you can get them and, and they're absolutely worth buying and playing them. Play them with swords and wizardry. Play them with uh, uh, your favorite BX clone. Well, I, I gotta be... say, I mean, uh, you know, no, no knock on the one E versions, but they did a they did a bang up job on the five E conversion. You know, I I was reading through U one uh, and sort of trying reading them for a little bit in parallel just to get a feel. Of, you know, what I do primarily for Frog God is five E translation, so I was really looking at it as a you know, just very specifically, like how did, what did they change? What did they not change? Um, and, you know, this, we already talked about a few of the sort of bigger picture plot things that got changed, which is nothing about the rule system. Like that's, those just, you know, a little bit about yep. game style, play style, but mostly just about, you know, we, we've had 40 years to think about it. Maybe we can improve things. <laughs> um, but I, I thought they did a nice job on the conversion. One of the things that cracked me up is uh, there's a, an order of magnitude drop in the amount of treasure, like in the gold piece value, like, you know, a book that sells for 150 gold pieces in one E sells for seven gold pieces in five E <laughs> and, and, you know, magic items are just getting axed left and right. And I, I'm not, I don't know. I often leave that stuff when I do the five E conversion. Cause I feel like, you know, that's, that's fun. That's exciting. And it's not going to break the game, whatever. So you have a few more healing potions, a little more gold, but I think overall, I feel like they did a a solid job. You know, I was looking at some of the traps. I was looking at how they did the, um, the, uh, the trader in the first Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Uh, Ned uh, shake shaft or whatever his name is. (laughs) Um, And like, it's clean. Like it, it, it feels like it runs in a very one-y, you know, it, it runs smoothly with the 5e conversion. So I, if you're looking for it, I wouldn't hesitate to, uh, you know, to just grab the, the, the new one. You know, the old ones are awesome, but I wouldn't hesitate to grab the new one either. I, okay, yeah. And, you know, I, I wasn't thinking along those terms. I was kind of thinking more along the, if you want to, if you want to just play it as they were written 40 years ago, they were, they're available out there. Right. You, you can get them the, to drive through, but I, I'd probably do the same thing with you. If I were to run it today, I, I'm sure I would grab Ghost of Saltmarsh because I know just from flipping through it, uh, they've done some pretty cool things in there. And a lot um, of it is verbatim. I mean, a lot of the room descriptions, a lot of the quotes sure. of, you know, what the characters say, a lot of that is literally word for word. 
Um, but you actually have a town of Salt Marsh, though, too, right? And, and, and on top of that, you have a town of Salt Marsh. Um, you have some uh, a little better guidance on how to play the uh, the bandits in the uh, in the cavern and stuff. Like, there's a little more uh, GM support, I guess. Is, mm-hmm. I, I always and, talk about it as as that the publisher should do a little more of the heavy lifting and leave the easy lifting to the to the GM. And I think in this <laughs> case the 5e version does a lot of that heavy lifting which is kind of nice to see yeah we you know and, and when, we, when we see a good 5e product out there we absolutely should be obliged to i know this is this old dungeon but some of these <laughs> new dungeons are damn good and, and wizard yeah. does wizards does do some i mean i i think they do some great stuff and i know this is yeah. one of, and, and correct me if i'm wrong this goals of salt marsh also has uh Xenopus tower in it right it does. doesn't matter i think of something else I, you know i think i'd heard that uh, but I'm almost positive it does. It's on, the, it's on the major map, so that's which is the, kind of a cool little the original dungeon out of Blue Holmes, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's got yep. a bunch of it's. It's a little weird. So we played through. I feel like there's like six or seven adventures in Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and some of them tie together better than others. Okay. Uh, like you have to do a. You would have to do some 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 quality GMing work to really solidly keep your players on a line to go to all of them uh, but to have all of them available uh-huh. and the players decide oh i'm excited about this i'm excited about that uh, or i'm going to go do this and then come back and finish up you uh, three <laughs> like i think there's a lot of flexibility there to make a, a sort of a waterlogged sandbox uh, out of these <laughs> And Wizards has done that pretty well with a couple of products. And obviously, Ghost of Summers is one of them. Uh, Yawning Portal is another one. Um, yeah. It's another great, great product. I mean, don't, again, I, I, I know we're an old school podcast for the most part, but don't dismiss some of the Watsy stuff that they do where they take old TSR uh, IP and products and and kind of kind of bring them into, uh, take, you know, a, a new spin on it or or correct Modern some of the things style. that... Yeah. yeah, you know, just just kind of beef them up and that kind of thing. Yon Porter does that with a bunch of old TSR modules too, so it's yep. a good pick. But uh, you know, I'm gonna. I, I think my summation on this is, is you cannot go wrong with you series. There, it's a great, great series. If you only, you know, if you only want to play one, you one is. Play one, play one. If you want to play one, play one, and it's it's a phenomenal module. It's uh, yeah. uh, it, it, I know it's it, it is highly regarded, but you know. To me, even it's not regarded highly enough. It's uh, it, to me, it's that good, and I, I think most people agree. If you get a chance to read it or play it, if you never have, go for it. Grab grab some off drive through or grab uh, Ghost Salt Marsh. You can't go wrong with that book from Watsy. It's a it's a great product. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something out that I was thinking on the third one here, and and see if you guys have any advice on this. So so one of the things I, I got these modules pretty late into my gaming career. I mean, I think I was in college when I first got U1. And I think I only finally tracked down a copy of U3 that I could afford uh, maybe about like 15 years ago. Um, so when I got it, what I was expecting was this, you know, this, this move towards battle where, okay, we're going to have the forces of the Shahagan and, uh, you know, all these little uh, confederated uh, sea creatures in the town of Salt, Salt Marsh waging war. And, and that doesn't happen in it. So I really feel like I'd want to kind of make it have like the Star Wars ending where you have some players off in the in the uh, layers of the Sahagan 
you know, trying to do something to, you know, assassinate their king or whatever. And meanwhile, there's this big battle that the other ones are involved in. If you did that, what sort of masked combat system would you use or would you use one? Or, or have you guys have any experience with that? I've I've only ever tried to do the War Machine one out of, uh, I think it's the Companion set. And I've never had great success trying to do a simulated mass combat. I don't know that the second edition battle system, maybe uh, it, it's it's tough because I, so I'm going to get way I'm, I'm going to keep it short and not try to get too way off target. Pace that we do a lot of TSR SQL modules. It's kind of my, like my hobby thing that we do. Uh, um, we do all our own products, but we do a lot of TSR SQLs. We've done it for, uh, like I said, Path of Advantage with the Slaver series. We did it with uh, uh, a bunch of others. We've done uh, the sequel to B1, Search of the Unknown. Uh, and, and one of them that we we've start, we started a while back, we did a module, we did our own version of U1, where we have a beholder who is actually charming the, the in that module, it was a whole behind the scenes of all this stuff that happened in U123, there's actually a beholder and he is a, um, he's got the uh, Sahagin King charmed. So he's pulling all the strings. And basically what, what we're, we're, we're going, we'll, it'll come out eventually because I, I just like doing <laughs> these things. Um, you're going to have, a, you're going to have this battle. You're going to have a bunch of sea creatures, Sahagin, you know, all these kind of creatures that this, beholders manipulating behind the scenes and the PCs basically with a militia have to defend salt marsh. And that's going to be kind of the big, big end battle kind of deal uh, without giving it all away. There's some stuff in between, but so I, you know, I, and that's, that's sort of stumbling block with that is, you know, what do I use to without creating something on my own, which I'll probably wind up doing to do <laughs> a larger battle because battle system is okay, but one, not everyone has it. And it's, it's war gamey a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but speaking of which, you can just go grab your copy of Chainmail and go for it. So there's well, always think, that. I think if I were uh, if I were trying to do this, I would probably stay focused on the PCs doing their their you know tactical invasion there, and either think about how long they're taking, or and I guess what sorts of um, successes they're having in terms of taking out important generals or whatever within the Sawagan world. But also probably I'd want to actually start keeping score earlier. Like, did they help Salt Marsh set up? Did they help the, you know, how many lizard, uh, how many, uh, yeah, lizard folks, lizard folk got, got killed. <laughs> did they, you know, how friendly were they? How, how strong is the alliance between the lizard folk and the, the Salt Marsh? And I think what I would really try to do is, keep the battle completely off camera yes have the score uh of you know the actual things that the player characters did affect the wow. battle and and try to narrate that so that you know okay so you return from the sawagan thing and that salt marsh is destroyed because a b and c or salt marsh you know stood strong and and they are grateful to you because you were able to take out the king before and that recalled the army like so I, I feel like if you could I mean that would be I think my take on that would be to have some sort of a sort of score system and if they get enough points 
by doing it's these various things, Salt Marsh survives, and if they don't, they create more of a yeah, more of a narrative battle, right? Because they could say, you know, how friendly were they with that sea elf, you know? Because you know, exactly, he yeah. go back and tell all his buddies and bring some along, or maybe a lot of them came along, and yeah. and all those kinds of things. So yeah, there's there's that's a that's a nice uh, a nice that's element nice. you can use to do that too. Excellent. And I I feel like that there may be some of that, and I, I apologize to our listeners that I didn't actually get this far in, in uh, reading, but I think there's some of that actually in Ghost of Salt Marsh. Uh-huh. Um, so and, uh, yeah it, there very well might be i again i i've, I've kind of skimmed it but i haven't read the whole thing yeah exactly all right any any last thoughts any any other directions you'd go Good. I, th- I think we summed it up pretty well all right yeah. well let's rewind and get to our mailbag folks we just got a letter we just got a letter we just got a letter wonder who it's from my opinion this letter writer is a total wacko all right and the letters to the homeowners association this week we've got a a couple different letters uh the first one is from jonathan f sullivan he writes hey luau lu just finished listening to the last episode and i appreciate the various comments about giving dungeons a sense of history it made me think of a zine i backed on kickstarter last year called dungeons and dilemmas by Jesse Burnett. In it, he talks about giving dungeons and other locations a sense of history by establishing what they were made for, what happened that caused them to be abandoned or overrun, and how the new inhabitants have changed the location for their purposes. This creates layers of history that can be hinted at through descriptions rather than exposition. Keep up the great work, and I'll keep listening, Jonathan. So what do you guys think? Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I'm uh, I'm 100% in agreement that I think uh, I think we all are that having some good dungeon history both uh, helps make it more interesting for the players, but it also makes it easier for the GM to make decisions. So if I know that this was created because of because this used to be a coal mine, then when the characters end up somewhere I wasn't expecting them to or if I have to make up something interesting on the spot I can fall back on oh well let's see coal mining okay there's going to be this is what's going on this is the stuff that's left over so I I I love having that history because it it, yeah it allows me as a GM to make decisions quickly and interestingly yeah I I think we're all going to be on the same sheet here I mean uh, uh, every dungeon should have a sense of history it might have multiple histories uh, it needs to have that ecology that's based off that history. You know, put my design hat on whenever, whenever I do something like that, I always, I always write, bake all that in first. You know, I, I make all my notes of, of what I think the, the history or the ecology and the dynamics of how this all works together. And that helps me as a designer write an adventure. And I think it helps me as a, it definitely helps me as a, as a, as a dungeon master when I read somebody else's product it helps me understand where they are going with this adventure from start to finish yep. and uh it I, I think like i said i think we're all on the same shit of music here you it, it, it's important it's also fun for the pcs and or the players to learn that as they go through a dungeon mm-hmm. right and, and kind of not not it's not just all kill about killing monsters and solving a problem it's about why am i here how did all this get here you know if i'm in some ancient city what's kind of the story of this ancient city what happened to it um, and even if it doesn't have much to do with the actual adventure, it, it, it keeps that That's evocative funny. nature of the game going. When I was uh, back in college in art classes, we always, uh, and I think in literature stuff too, it was always talking about the through line, the, <laughs> the line of continuity in, and I feel like that history is what gives the 
the adventure or is one of the things that can give an adventure its through line. So from a designer's perspective, anytime I need to make a decision when I'm writing something, having that through line helps me make the decision because I always have something to fall back on. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree 100%. All right. Our second uh, ride in here is from Ned Leeds. Now, this was off the uh, Facebook page here uh, when we had posted that we were coming out with the Temple of Elemental Evil episode. The Temple of Elemental Evil, he says, is the GOAT adventure ever, the greatest of all time. I've run it for 1E, 2E, and even did uh, Paizo's beta Pathfinder playtesting using it. Interested to hear y'all's take on it. The latest go-around I made heavy use of the Troika video game, which ties all the Gygaxian plot gaps together really nicely with quests, more well-defined NPCs, and motivation. So I responded back to him. I asked him to kind of describe how he runs Temple uh, and how he deals with some of those issues that we had talked about in our episode, such as the redundancy of dungeon encounters, the looseness of the overall plot, the relevancy of what was intended to be important aspects like those elemental nod nodes uh, and the golden key orb and all that. So he responded that as far as dungeon bloat goes, that there is definite repetition and there could be far more tie-ins to the main plot. Uh, he thinks like, uh, for example, a network of ghoul rooms doesn't reveal much about the plot to the players. However, there can be subtle clues, uh, such as uh, the frescoes on the wall, uh, or if the player really wants to know the plot, a good way to do it is to have them take prisoners. If they choose to slay and only slay, they're potentially missing out on a lot, which begs the question, do the monsters die at zero or negative 10 so you know you can fudge that as a dm uh, let some of them survive and let them kind of give away some of the the plot that needs revealed uh he says that uh when he runs t1 through four he does it very close to by the book yeah uh, which is not uh, the same that could be said for how he approaches the game uh he makes slight alterations to the escalation uh for recruiting from which he builds reserve forces and that T1 through 4 is not kind to those who dilly-dally in Hamlet or Nolb or Verbonic. And after a certain point, it becomes a very time-sensitive adventure. For another point, he says that he, he sees that they, they tend to pick up on the plot that he reveals a bit at a time. That he does this sometimes through dreams. Uh, and that a lot of the plot can come through interrogation and parlaying with the different groups. Part of maybe a, you know something that could be solved with a homebrew. That although combat becomes a little boring after a while... There was more of a homebrew issue at, at stake there, that critical hits are a potential solution, although Gary Gygax warned against that. Uh, he says that his characters never found the keys in the orb, uh, like we had mentioned, uh, that T1 is oftentimes played through many times, uh, although sometimes TPK happen, TPKs happen, although most parties prevail. But he's never had a party that completed T1 through 4. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Part of kind of what we were saying is it's really hard to get all the way through it uh, with the same gaming group anyhow. Um, he then offers an amazing internet compilation of resources that are all cross-linked with encounters and stats, adventure notes, maps, and everything else. Um, I mean, I when he posted this, I went into it, uh, and I, you know, like half hour passed, and it was like seconds, because there's so many things you click on, it gives you more information, and it it really does do a good job of kind of putting this module together in a way that you can kind of div, kind of chew on it a little more and, and, and eat it piece by piece instead of having it all there kind of set in the way that the original uh, super module was, was uh, compiled. Uh, so if, if you're interested in that, uh, it's online. You can go to HTTPS 
colon backslash backslash one e online dot info backslash t backslash t dot htm and i'll put that in the show description definitely if you're going to do uh temple of elemental evil you, you'll want to give that a look it's a really good uh resource and i i mean you can tell the guy loves it with with how much time he put into that and and i think that's awesome i think you know he the full immersion that you can do with temple of elemental evil is you know you've got endless possibilities you know one thing i think we never we didn't I didn't comment on when we first talked about T-O-E-E is, what is it, 96-page book or 128? I can't remember uh, off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't remember since the other week, but I, I, I think it I think it did break 100 pages, if I remember. So right. it's probably 128. That seems to be a number that pops in my head for some reason. Uh, and the reason I bring that up, if you were to if if, if you were to read Temple of Elmetley today, that book would be 300 pages. Or, or two hardbound uh, copies. Yes, without question. It'd be a, it'd be a huge book. Um, just because I think the full immersion that you can do with what was presented, that's where it would probably go. Or you could go the other way, <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah. which is probably what I would do, but you easily could do that with, with Temple of Unbelievable. And I, I know there's a ton of third, you know, um, of fan created stuff out there for it. And that module deserves all the accolades it gets from the people who love it because they truly like this guy. He loves that adventure and he should. It, there's some great, great stuff in there. Unfortunately, there's the tedium and I think he references it in there too. So that's about all I have to say on, on Temple of Elemental Evil again. I, well, and I'm, 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 uh, I'm more excited about the, uh, the listener writing in and uh, sharing with us and our listeners uh, what they've done and sort of adding to the conversation. I think that's awesome. It'd be great if we get, uh, get some more of that action happen because certainly as a, as a community, I'm sure there's a lot of, I'm sure amongst the listeners, there's a lot of great knowledge and ideas out there that, you know, we might spark something or touch on something that somebody else might've dug in pretty deep. So that's pretty cool. Thank I agree. You. That's, that's kind of my point with the full immersion that a yeah. lot of people have taken in a lot of different ways and it's, it's just really cool. Yeah, for sure. Our uh, third letter is from Michael Anthony. He says, hello again, Todd crew. So that's a, that's a new uh, acronym. Uh, acronym. Yeah. <laughs> new one for us. Uh, Todd crew. All right. Uh, thank you for keeping this program going. It seemed like things were dissolving there after the first eight episodes. And I was very disappointed because the show's premise is so solid. I like being reminded of some of these products from my childhood. And especially like when you guys get creative without a freshen them up. Drums on Fire Mountain and Beyond the Crystal Caves were some really fun episodes. Still, my favorite was the Bill Slavisek one with Ghostbusters. I would love to hear more about some of these non-D&D games from Times Now Gone. I have a question to get you going for the Mel section. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is a famous old RPG that you actually have never played? I figured this one would be a personal profile piece. Happy, have a happy New Year's and keep the episodes coming. All right. Well, th thank you, Mike. This is a, this is a great one because when we first discussed this, we were all amazed at how many all of us have never played. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> we're yeah, we're so imposters, for me, every the, one of us. The, the, exactly. the list the is the one list that is, came to mind for me was the uh, the D6 Star Wars or any of the old Star Wars games. I And then, Bill, I think you said you'd never played any of them either. I've never played it either. I'm right there with you. And then, uh, I so instead of me using the same one you're using, I'm going to say, I'm, I own a lot of it. I don't think I own all of it, but first edition Middle Earth role playing game. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. never played Merp. Haven't played and, that. And uh, I, I always wanted to run it and play it, but I never did. Just never got around to it. 
Yeah, so I, I've never done Merp. I, I own almost everything from uh, the, the Wedge Star Wars series. But the one there for me, the one for me is uh, uh, Traveler. I've never even died in creation during Traveler. I've never played it at all. So, uh, and that's one that I really do want to play. It's just like nobody I ever knew owned the books. And uh, you, you go to a con and that's a game that's super hard to get into usually. I mean, they yeah. sell yeah. out like nothing. And I have played Traveler. So that one, I can't say I have played that. Now to be 100% transparent, I have not played it since probably 1980. It has been that long. So, because oh, for me it was the opposite that I I hadn't played it until probably North Texas a few years ago, maybe four years is. ago or something. So, yeah, all right. And uh, that was it was yeah, it was fun to. Uh, it's nice to to have these things that you've been hearing about all your life and then get to jump in them. <laughs> for sure. So, there you go, Michael. There's the dirt, man. Yep, we're all fakes. <laughs> well, I've never played D and D. Well. To be honest, I think everyone that says they've played D&D really has never played, you know, raw rules as written D&D. I know I haven't. I've never played exactly by the rules ever. Well, no one's ever played any game. I don't think exactly by the rules, but I feel <laughs> I like I've come certainly with 5e. I've come pretty damn close <laughs> uh, with 1e. I certainly I feel like I played what everybody else played, which was not. It was, you know, it was a good 60% of the rules, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the closest I've ever comes, honestly, is BX. Oh, yeah. Probably about 90, 95% because it's so rules light to begin with. But yeah, that's true. I, I think I've, that's I've probably the, the closest yeah. one for me. Yep. yep. All right. Our final letter here is from Martin Travance. Uh, he writes, hello, Dungeon Architects. My name is Martin Travance. I've used to game back in the mid 80s and have only recently, two years ago, gotten back into the hobby through the prodding of my grandson. Who would have thought? I just picked up your show on the Temple episode and have since been going back through your episode list. I'm on episode four. I 1000% agree with your take on the Temple of Elemental Evil. All right, I say we end the show right there. All right, yeah, we're done. All right. That was awesome. We got a grandkid and we got some agreement. We got a hero right here. Got a hero right here. Mic drop. All right. He says, uh, I was so disappointed after buying it as a 16-year-old. It now sits on my game shelf as padding for some more treasured items from my younger years, such as my beat-up copy of The Lost Shrine of Tomoakan. Yes. I I, I'm guessing you made a lot of old timers cry with your assessment of that module, but it was true nonetheless. I found a lot of TSR's big, perfect bound modules suffered from the same sort of bloat as TOE. Well, while you're making Graybeard's pout, why not tell me what you think about other highly debated D&D books, such as the Hardbound Trilogy, the Dungeoneer Survival Guide, the Wilderness Survival Guide, and the Manual of the Plains. Keep delving into old games and telling it like it is. Hoping for the 20, Martin. All right. I, I'll jump in first. Uh, I like all three of them. Uh, I, I do. I, I like the, well, the Wilderness Survival Guide to me is a, is a great book. I think I like that out of all three of them. It's, I, I go to that one more than not. Um, even though the Dungeoneer Survival Guide has got just some great stuff in it. And I, I know these were both of those books in particular were, were, were TSR looking to save themselves from going bankrupt. Okay. Back in the day, they were just trying to put out whatever they could to, to, to get that revenue stream going. 
Um, but there, there are solid books. Manual Planes is another, it's a great book for what it is. It, I don't really tend to use it for a whole lot of anything other than maybe uh, a little bit of inspiration kind of thing. I don't tend to do a lot of high, high level stuff that Manual Planes would kind of move around. Although there's, you know, there's always, there's, there's something fun about sticking a, you know, a gate in third level dungeon or something like <laughs> that. But um, I, I like all three of those books. Uh I you know I know the Dungeoneer Survival Guide, Wilderness Survival Guide, do not get um, as much love from the One E community. Uh, again, they they came out late. You know, Two E was was already rolling, um, but I I do like them. I think they're good reference products. You know, uh, for what they are. I'll jump in. So I'm I'm on the opposite page with you. Um, it, it just put the cards on the table. I'm a huge Douglas Niles fan about anything that guy wrote. Uh, I just love it, love it, love it. And so he did the Dungeoneer Survival Guide and uh, I got it early on in my gaming and uh, didn't really know what I was getting. I think when I bought it, I thought it was some sort of set of adventures or something. Um, but once I started reading it, even as young as I was, I was just captivated by it. There's so much interesting information in there about like, you know, what, what a real cave system is like and what, what different types of caves there are. And uh, it really set my imagination on fire as far as being able to, as a game master, describe a dungeon and put in interesting natural features and, uh, you know, just just really kind of, you know, make the game come alive for me. So I love that one. I love the stuff in it. I love the little, there's almost like a little, almost like a little module in it that kind of goes through a series of underdark passages. And then you got in the back, you've got all that isomor uh, isometric drawing uh, reference stuff yeah which just blew my mind you know and I, I started trying to draw things with that and got into mapping and everything so I love that one wilderness survival guide I love the cover it's probably my favorite D&D book cover ever but to me it was just a book of charts and some of them breathed life into my games and some of them didn't and then the manual planes what I liked about it is it allowed me to think about like some of the magic items and, and what they meant. Like, you know, for example, a bag of holding, well, what, you know, where would that stuff go? What kind of, you know, what kind of dimension was it going into? How would that function? What if the players cast uh, shrink on themselves and go in there? Um, stuff like that. And so I, I like that one quite a bit, but, but to me, the, the wilderness survival guy, that's the, the redheaded stepchild of the bunch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the, of the three, the Wilderness uh, Survival Guide is the only one that I, I know. It's one that I've had since I was a child. And of all my AD&D books, it still looks brand new. Um, it is, uh, it just does not match with my style of play. Like it just, as you say, it's a lot of charts. It's too, it's too much like uh, encumbrance for me. And I know that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people I game with that really enjoy making sure they're counting arrows and, and that enjoy the idea of, uh, you know, you've been in the cold for five hours and, you know, you're going to roll and see if something bad happens or good, ha whatever. But that, that part of the gaming of the game has never been something that I really enjoyed. So for me, that, that book doesn't do, uh, doesn't do anything for me aside from the cover, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, I'm going to, the reason I say wilderness for me is, I, I kind of take the opposite stand that you guys are looking at. I don't use it really for the charts or any of that. I use it for more of the inspirational things of what, uh, when characters are in the wilderness, what can happen to them and how I can use that to design adventures or augment my adventures, I guess. That's fair. Instead of using it more as a, 
I think I don't really use it as the tool it was designed to be used as. I use it more as a inspirational tool. Uh, whereas I think the Dungeoneer Survival Guide is kind of the opposite. Dungeoneer Survival Guide is more of an instructional tool, um, more than evocative. I mean, it can be obviously, but it's uh, Dungeoneer Survival Guide gives you a lot of tools and a lot of a lot of data, right? Well, so maybe maybe I'll give it a second shot because my players are going up into the mountains uh, in the winter uh, <laughs> within one or two sessions. So see, maybe, there you go. Uh, you'll you'll find something useful from there. Yeah. There's something good in all those books, right? Yeah. I think we can all we can all agree. Yeah, on I'm that. sure. I'm sure. Absolutely. And I got no idea what they go for nowadays, but for the longest time, you could pick them up for next to nothing. There were just yeah. so many of them. They, they they still go relatively cheap, so that 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 will tie me into. I'll put my collector hat on now. So the both the done the TSR printed a zillion of these books, Dungeoneer and <laughs> Wilderness Survival Guide. Okay, and a lot of them got sent back because the the bookstores they couldn't sell them. They just they just didn't sell. So they got all this stock of this Dungeoneer Survival Guide and Wilderness Survival Guide, right? Well, what to do? Well, someone came up with the great idea that they would put a cardboard cover around it and put a little 16-page adventure supplement in there with it and then shrink wrap them up and sell it as a new product or as a, a you know, hey, you get this bonus thing for buying this book. Um, the, the crazy thing was they had to take a Sharpie and put an X <laughs> through all the ISBN barcodes on the back of the books. And they put a new barcode on the, uh, the cardboard wraparound uh, or UPC, you know, kind of thing to sell them because it wasn't the exact same product. So it's funny. So if you ever find one in the wild that has a black X through the back on the barcode, the TS, someone at TSR got stuck sitting there doing that <laughs> to thousands of books. Okay. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, if you find the supplements that go with it, the supplements is where the, are worth a lot of money. I mean, significant money, uh, hundreds of dollars. Uh, it's dark and hidden ways. And I can't remember the name of the other one off the top of my head, dark, dark something. Um, but anyway, there's two supplements that went with there, like 16 pages, black and white, no art on the cover, but anyway, they, uh, they go with a couple hundred dollars each. And if you could find the book, still in the shrink with that special cover on it and the thing installed included inside you know untouched as it got sent to the bookstore uh five if six you find that bucks, call probably. bill at <laughs> yeah call me at uh i've got one of them i don't have both um I've, I've got both of them i've got the loose pieces but as far as the only one set i've got i actually have the dungeoneer survival guide complete i don't have the willingness complete um but anyway, uh, it's just kind of an interesting tidbit from what uh, TSR did to try and move those books. Yeah, that's something I didn't know about. That's awesome. All right. Well, guys, uh, I don't know. Do you got anything we can talk about for another hour? We're running a little short tonight. Oh, no, we got we to gotta kill this. We, we got we to set a record here and cut this baby short. All right, yeah. let's do it then. All right, folks, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, having you listen to us. <laughs> and uh, please, <laughs> please keep writing in. Please keep writing in. Give us your ideas of how you would do things different. Ask us questions that make us feel embarrassed. Uh, our uh, email is uh, thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Uh, that's T-H-I-S-O-L-D-U-N-G-E-O-N at gmail.com. All right. Thank you and have a good night. Yeah, good night, everyone. And for the next episode, I will look up the names of those two pro those two ancillary products for uh, both those books so we can put it on the record exactly what they are. Have a good night, all. Good night.
Tonight's episode of This Old Dungeon is copyright 2021. We'd like to thank our special guests and remind you, the listener, that the views expressed and the opinions held are simply our own. Hey, we're here to entertain, not educate. Until next time, happy gaming.